Thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. On this episode, I'm going to do something uh, a little bit off the cuff, sort of. I've, ri- I've written on my response, but this is a, a last-minute uh, response to my friend Tim Stratton from an exchange we were having in a Facebook group. Uh, his response to my comment was long. <laughs> my response to him was longer. Uh, so rather than flooding the Facebook, uh, I am going to just do this as an audio episode. I am sending him the text version of this. Um, so he has access to it. I'm not trying to, to hide it or and he can re you know, he's gonna have my permission to uh, repost my comments as he see fits and do his own response as well. So uh, not trying to, to hide or anything like that. Tim Stratton is a, is a good, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, someone who I respect. But again, on some issues, we just have fundamental disagreements, um, and I am uh, heavily critical of some of his views. So this, again, came up in a Facebook thread where we were discussing uh, uh, freedom, and I had mentioned that um, that even his, his, uh, his free-thinking argument against naturalism, um, I thought, uh, failed. I thought Bignon had done a good job uh, demonstrating some of the failures uh, of Stratton's uh, work and his arguments. Uh, you know, I don't mean that to be hard on Stratton. I know it's kind of his his life work, um, and and he, you know, I hope he continues to to work on it. But I hope he continues to to work on it uh, and work his way into a view that I think is uh, true and accurate. So um, I am going to be responding to his comments. I'll, I'll try to clear up some of the discussions, uh, you know, what 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 he was responding to and and such as we go. Um, but let's get. To it. So, uh, in in his resp- in my comment, I, I basically tell him again that I thought his free thinking argument against naturalism uh, doesn't work. That his free thinking argument against any form of determinism doesn't really work, and that it be- that he continually begs the question. This has been a common criticism uh, from his critics, namely uh, the one that most people are aware of, although there are others, uh, is uh, French philosopher Guillaume Bignon. So uh, after I made those comments, uh, we had there's there's some kind of personal comments we have in here, not like mean ones or anything, but comments about like the discussion itself that I'm leaving out of this uh, because it's just not really relevant to the topic. Um, and, and so I, I just want to get into the meat of it. So uh, Stratton says, uh, "quote the view opposed to uh, the view opposed to my view would be exhaustive divine determinism." Thus, if EDD turned out to be true, then it's not up to me if I continue to worship God or not. If I am faithful, that's because God causally determined me to think and act in a certain way, end quote. He had some other thing, uh, you know, a couple of comments in there. And this was, I should say, this is on a thread where I asked the question uh, for, for libertarian and incompatibilists. If it turns out that the opposing view was false, that compatibilism was true, um, would they stop believing in God, right? And and commonly people were saying, well, you know, it wouldn't really matter because I wouldn't have a choice, right? Uh, so here's here's my here's my response to that. Uh, so I so I said, you again merely beg the question. If the opposing view of compatibilism were true, it would not be the case that it would not be up to you. 
That is, that is Stratton's false evaluation based on the assumption of incompatibilism. That is, that determinism just is in principle incompatible with freedom. But again, the question is if you are wrong and compatibilism is true. Hence, the evaluation that Stratton gives would have that he would have no choice uh, or freedom is to say, if he assumes incompatibilism is true, then if compatibilism were true, then it would be false. It's literally just an incoherent response that begs the question. That's the kind of way in which Stratton shows that he, he really struggles to engage these topics without merely begging the question of his incompatibilism. This, this has absolutely plagued his responses and interactions with Bignon and others, uh, and a huge portion of his response, uh, Stratton's response to Bignon that he's put out. He has like this 50-page PDF document that he's put out, and just throughout it, it's just riddled with this type of, of uh, inability um, to, to, to discuss these things without begging the question of incompatibilism. He then goes on to say, quote, after all, if God causally determines Tyler Vela to happily affirm a false belief, then you possess no opportunity to infer a better or true belief, end quote. My response, again, that's just begging the question of incompatibilism. If compatibilism is true, it's just not the case that I don't have a conditional opportunity to infer a better or true belief as an agent with reasons, responsive, and guidance control. That's just not the case. So that is to say, if God uh, casually determines Tyler Vela to happily affirm false belief, then assuming incompatibilism is true, then you possess no opportunity to infer a better or true false belief or true belief. Again, that just begs the question. Uh, I then said uh, that the premise one of his free thinking argument is plausibly false, even for the naturalist, to which Stratton replies, quote, really, I have never had a naturalist reject the proposition, quote, if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists, end quote. Why? Because it's true by definition. If you'd like to change the definition, then I'd be happy to interact with it, end quote. Well, the problem is, is that's not P1 of his argument. I'm kind of surprised that Stratton doesn't seem to know his own argument. On his website from 2015, uh, which I give in his article, The, the Free Thinking Argument in a Nutshell, he lists his first premise as uh, premise one, if naturalism is true, the immaterial human soul does not exist. Right? It's not if naturalism is true, then nature is all that exists. Right? It's that the immaterial human soul does not exist. He reiterates this in his first premise four years later in 2009 in an article entitled Thinking About Free Thinking. In fact, on page 167 of his book, he slightly modifies it a little bit to be A1, which is if naturalism is true, human nature does not include an immaterial soul. So I'm somewhat surprised that he tries to defend his argument. Remember, he continually says that this is his argument when really free-thinking arguments have been around for a long time. So maybe this is his version of it. I don't know. But I'm surprised he so fervently defends it. And yet he doesn't seem to even know the premises that he has listed to his own argument in his public and public published work. Nowhere can I find that he lists premise one of his argument as if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists. Now, maybe he's established that later. Maybe. I, I, 
I mean, maybe, I don't really know, uh, but it's just not the case that that's the premise. So I'm objecting to the premise as he has it in his published and public work. So that's my critique of his actual argument. So P1, as stated in those work, is plausibly false, even for some naturalists who think that there are some emergent immaterial properties and could even include minds and souls in that, such as Gould or Flanagan and possibly Carnap and others. So it seems that they could deny the argument from the very get-go. Premise one just doesn't get off the ground for many of them. Stratton then writes, quote, I spill much ink in the rejoinder doing just that. Here he's referring to uh, defending his, his premises. <clears throat> but let me quickly reiterate what I said above. If God causally determines Tyler Vela to happily affirm a false belief, then Tyler Vela possesses no opportunity to infer a better or true belief. On your view, Tyler, you are nothing but a passive cog at the mercy of the whims of a deity of deception. Read the rejoinder for more, end quote. Once again, this is only the case if and only if Stratton begs the question of incompatibilism. None of that gets off the ground even without him first proving incompatibilism, which he hasn't done. So he cannot have an argument for incompatibilism that requires him to beg the question or to presume incompatibilism to even make one of its premises work. This has been pointed out to Stratton ad nauseum, and yet that's he continues to make these kinds of rejoinders. He then continues... Uh, he then gives an argument where premise one is, uh, quote, if Tyler does not possess libertarian freedom, then something or someone else is ultimately responsible for all of his thoughts and beliefs, end quote. Again, only if you beg the question of incompatibilism and make a rather vague statement about what it means to be ultimately responsible. Yet keep, I mean, Stratton keeps attempting to make syllogisms to support premises of previous syllogism. So now this is now a premise in a syllogism to support a premise in a previous syllogism used to support the premise in his first syllogism. And he keeps he keeps trying to make these syllogisms to support these, these previous uh, syllogisms. But each one of these new syllogisms relies on the exact same presumption of incompatibilism. It begs the question. Again, if the, the premise is if Tyler does not possess libertarian freedom, then something or someone is else is ultimately responsible. Well, only if incompatibilism is true, right? Well, that's just not the case if compatibilism is true. So it's just question begging turtles all the way down. So why should I believe this new premise in his third syllogism now to support his very first argument, why should I believe that new premise is true without begging the question of incompatibilism? He then follows with yet another syllogism to try to demonstrate the premise of the syllogism meant to defend the premise of the previous syllogism to defend the premise of the first syllogism. But lo and behold, it doesn't follow. He argues, this is his syllogism, premise one, if humans do not possess the powers of relevant, uh, or sorry, if humans do not possess the powers of reflective self-control, then humans are not rationally responsible. Two, two, number two, humans are rationally responsible. Number three, therefore, humans possess the powers of reflective self-control. In parentheses, he writes, libertarian freedom. Okay, but notice that he has to, he even has to smuggle in libertarian freedom into the conclusion where it's nowhere in the premises. He equates reflective self-control 
as libertarian freedom, but that's nowhere granted or argued for in the argument. So it's just invalid. It's a non sequitur. It just doesn't follow. Now, I can even grant premise one and two as a compatibilist based on my own view of reason's responsiveness and guidance control. So then three follows given compatibilism. So I can affirm that humans possess reflective self-control. So nowhere is it argued for that, that therefore that's libertarian freedom. Where's that argued for in the, in the argument? Where's that demonstrated? Nowhere. Nowhere is that argued for in any of the premises. He simply begs the question and then inserts it into the conclusion. So now he would need another argument with another probably question-begging premise to get reflective self-control to be equivalent with libertarian freedom or that libertarian freedom would be necessary for reflective self-control. He just keeps piling these question-begging turtles on top of each other. Stratton then goes on, uh, I make a reference to that, that support number one. Here I'm referring to, or I'll, I'll tell you what I'm referring to in a minute, but he says, uh, quote, what do you mean by support number, number one? Here again, I'm referring to, he, it's referring to my claim that support one, number one was a non sequitur. So here, support number one refers to the first premise of his supporting argument in his 2019 article, which I listed above, thinking about free thinking. This is actually repeated in his book on page 174 as premise D1. D is in dog, D1, on page 174 of his book. And it reads, D1, if libertarian freedom is not possessed by humans, then humans cannot rationally affirm knowledge claims. That's his premise. Again, this simply does not follow unless you beg the question of libertarian incompatibilism. I mean, this wouldn't even fly with other incompatibilists. Notice that he says that if libertarian freedom is not possessed by humans, then humans cannot rationally affirm knowledge claims. But other incompatibilists like Tempe, who deny libertarianism but still are incompatibilists, they think that they can rationally affirm knowledge claims. So is Stratton really making the strong claim here that even other incompatibilists who aren't libertarians have the same problem as determinist on his view? He'd, he'd have to say that if something like Tempe's own source incompatibilism were true, then he'd also not be capable of free thinking since Stratton is making specifically libertarian incompatibilism the necessary condition for affirming knowledge claims. So why must we affirm D1? There's no reason, Gavin. Can Stratton demonstrate it without begging the question of libertarian incompatibilism? I've yet to see it. He then says, quote, I'm referring responsibility in the dessert sense. As Derek Paraboom shows, and I expand upon in my rejoinder, if something or someone else causally determines Tyler Vela to affirm false propositions, then Tyler has zero opportunity to infer or affirm a true proposition in that instance. This can be done directly or via causally determining one's nature to causally determines one's thoughts and actions. Okay. Notice here that this has to be done by one determining one's own nature to causally determine one's thoughts. I mean, does Stratton actually think that we determine our own natures? What a bizarre view, even for libertarians. Now, in addition, I may have no opportunity in the categorical sense on compatibilism. Sure. 
But but now he's seemingly saying that unless I have the opportunity of contradiction, that is, unless I have the opportunity to believe something false or to not believe something false, really this is just synonymous with the principle of alternative possibilities, then he's claiming I'm not free. So now, not only does this beg the question of libertarian incompatibilism, but it also means that libertarian free will needs a principle of alternative possibility in order to be true, something that Stratton himself has expressly denied. So which is it? Is a principle of alternative possibility necessary for freedom, and thus I need opportunity of contrary choice in order to be free? Or is it not necessary for me to have alternative options uh, as, as, as an alternative possibilities as Stratton has claimed and, and affirmed before? So, he, I mean, he contradicts his own arguments elsewhere on this point. And then beyond that, again, why must I believe that premise is true without begging the question of incompatibilism in the first place? Stratton then continues, on exhaustive divine determinism, for example, the adulterer was, was either causally determined to cheat on his or her spouse directly by the god of mischief, he puts it in quotes, or they were causally determined by their nature, which was causally determined by the deity of deception. Either way, if God causally determines one spouse to cheat on the other, then how can the adulterer deserve blame for what the god of mischief caused and determined, end quote. Okay. I mean, I mean, besides the god of mischief and that kind of nonsense, I'm sorry, Stratton, that's just nonsense rhetoric. But uh, besides that, yes, determinism is determinism. If determinism is true, then if X happens by an agent's free choice, that free choice was determined. If, if, if compatibilism is true, yes, nothing interesting follows from that unless you beg the question of incompatibilism such that if X is determined, then it necessarily in principle cannot have been a free and responsible choice. So all Stratton is saying is that if we assume incompatibilism, that if X is determined, then, that, then X can't be a, a responsible choice. But again, <laughs> it only makes sense as a rejoinder if and only if he begs the question of incompatibilism. Why do I have to accept this? Why do I have to accept incompatibilism and therefore accept this premise without begging the question of incompatibilism? Again, it's just question begging turtles all the way down. Stratton, he continues. He says, quote, I have no idea what P1 you're referring to since I have offered many versions of the argument in my book and on my website, end quote. Uh, here again, I'm referring to premise one of his argument as, he's been, been, as it's been published in public and print forums. I mean, it's published all, all over his website for years, multiple places. It's published in his book. That's what I'm referring to. He, he, he then goes on after this to give a whole new argument, which to be honest, I can't find in his book. I can't find anywhere online. I don't know if he was making it up just for this conversation or that he's put it somewhere that it's just not searchable on Google. I don't know. So, so uh, the fact that I can't find this anywhere, and this is the first place I've ever seen this, and I can't find it online or in his book, this clearly is not the, the P1 that I was referring to. Uh, but, uh, you know, and I've been talking about his free thinking argument against naturalism. So I'm not sure how he doesn't know what premise one I'm talking about. Um, although he has given, you know, support argument for support argument for support argument for his main argument. So maybe that can be a little confusing, I guess. But now that he's given this argument, let's look at the new argument. 
And and let's for now put aside some major validity issues uh, because I don't even think it's a valid argument, let alone a sound one. So he argues, I'm going to read through the entire argument. Premise one, a rational agent possesses opportunities to exercise an ability to infer better and true beliefs over false ones in an appropriate environment. Two, if Tyler does not possess the opportunity to exercise his ability to infer better and true beliefs over false ones in an appropriate environment, then Tyler is not a rational agent. Three, if Tyler is causally determined to affirm a false belief, then Tyler does not possess the opportunity to exercise an ability to infer better and true beliefs in an appropriate environment. Four, if exhaustive divine determinism is true, Tyler is causally determined to affirm false beliefs and does not possess the opportunity to exercise an ability to infer better and true beliefs. Five, therefore, if exhaustive divine determinism is true, Tyler is not a rational agent. Again, there's there's validity problems. There's a couple of them throughout, throughout here, but let's put it. Let's just ignore that for now and pretend like this is a valid argument. I could show a dozen problems with this argument. There, there's actually a bunch of them. But let me just continue with the theme showing where Stratton again just begs the question and again seems to presume the principle of alternative possibility, which he denies elsewhere. First, premise one just seems ambiguous. What does he mean by opportunities? Is, it, is this the opportunity to choose to believe otherwise? I mean, besides the major questions that this seems to raise by what appears to be a necessary appeal to direct doxastic voluntarism, which myself and, uh, you know, I mean, most philosophers think is false, including a ton of incompatibilists and libertarians. Uh, Let's ignore that for a second. If, If he means that I have to have that kind of volitional alternative possibilities available to me, then I'd just point out that the principle of alternative possibility is plausibly false, as Stratton himself has admitted many times. And so his reliance on it here is just baffling. For, for Stratton himself would have publicly denied the principle of alternative possibilities, which his own premise would assume. So he denies his own premise elsewhere. So why should I accept his first premise if that's what he means by opportunities? If he means something else by opportunities, other than kind of that, uh, the ability to have uh, necessarily contradictory opportunities or other opportunities as necessary, then it's not clear what he means by opportunities. If he means it in the conditional sense, which we'll talk to in a second, then I can have that on compatibilism. And if I can have that type of opportunity on compatibilism, then the rest of his argument doesn't follow. That's why premise three also seems false unless he means it in a strict principle, unless he means these opportunities in a strict principle of alternative possibilities sense, which would then just circle back to my same problem that I had with premise one. But if he doesn't mean it in the principle of alternative possibility or, or, you know, that type of sense, then Stratton appears to be not only equivocating on the term opportunities between premise one and premise three, but also yet again, just begs the question of incompatibilism. For if compatibilism is true, then I do have conditional ability to choose otherwise in the conditional sense. So in the actual sequence, I do not choose otherwise, but in the conditional alternative sequence of events, I could have chosen otherwise. Again, he cannot demonstrate his original free-thinking argument against naturalism by stacking more and more question-begging turtles onto the pile. He then, he then says, quote, if it helps, here's a newly worded version of the syllogism I've made popular over the last few years. To be clear, by the word nature, I'm referring to the kinds of stuff that scientists can directly test 
or discover. <clears throat> he then gives another eight point syllogism. I, I'm only gonna talk, I'm only gonna list uh, premise one because I, just like his last one, this doesn't get off the ground, okay? And again, he says he's made this popular over the last few years. I mean, up to his published work in, I believe his book came out in, in 2020, last year, up to that time of publication, I mean, I haven't seen this this come out. I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't read his entire response to Bignon, so maybe it's in there, but I can't find it anywhere online. Okay, so this is his premise one. If naturalism is true, then only nature exists. And in parentheses, he puts no soul, angels, demons, or God. Okay, here again, premise one can just be easily denied by many naturalists, as I argued above, right? If he means, and again, he's, he's saying that he means stuff that scientists can directly test. Well, he says, if naturalism is true, then only nature exists. Well, that's exactly the problem that some naturalists have with materialism, right? You have naturalists that would deny this very type of move from methodological naturalism of what scientists can directly test to materialistic naturalism to that the idea that only the kind of stuff that scientific tests can directly test exists. Right, so you have naturalists, you have you have naturalistic philosophers of science who oppose this very kind of thing happening among empiricists and materialists. Right, so so here again, P one can just be easily denied by many naturalists. So the argument again just doesn't work against naturalists, which means that it fails against a kind of naturalistic determinism. It, it, it might not fail against materialistic determinism, but it would fail against against some versions of naturalistic determinism at least. And so I have no reason to think that it would do any better against divine determinism and compatibilism argued for like reform, reform folk like myself, which has other mechanisms that help it along, like God giving us truth-seeking capacities, for example, in our reason's responsiveness. So, I mean, it just, it just, it just goes from worse to worse. Stratton then claims, quote, the first three steps of the argument are rather straightforward. In summary, one is true by definition. If naturalism is true, nature is all that exists, end quote. Again, notice he's actually had to change it from above. He changed it from uh, then only nature exists to nature is all that exists. Again, while that's not, a, you, you could argue that those are conceptually changed. They may not be actually. But again, it's just not true by definition that if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists when he said that by nature he just means the kind of stuff that scientists can directly test or discover again that's just not true by definition to what naturalism is since you have naturalists that oppose that very type of empiricism and materialism i, I, I just I, I'm, I'm baffled by how he can say that that's true by definition um, so it's just not true by definition, and there's built-in assumption that things, again, like souls, cannot be naturally occurring emergent phenomena. Yes, nature is all that there would be in a broad general sense if he didn't constrict it to just what the scientific method could discover, but it doesn't follow from that, then, if we do it in the broader sense, that only material objects is all that there would be. So again, if he wants to constrict it to the things that can be tested by science, then it doesn't follow. And if he wants to make it broader so it's not things by tested by science, it just means that whatever is by nature is nature, well, then that's too vague to really make his argument work. So the argument fails coming and going. 
Again, Stratton then can, uh, claims, quote, if all of a person's thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, and judgments are always forced upon her and she had no opportunity to be more careful and choose better thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, or judgments, then she is simply left assuming that her determined thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, and judgments are good and that her beliefs are true. Therefore, one could never rationally affirm that her beliefs really are the inference to the best explanation. This can only be assumed, and the assumption would be likewise be causally determined and forced upon her, a sense of vertigo is warranted. Again, this just begs the question of incompatibilism, since on compatibilism, it's not the case that determinism means that beliefs are forced upon us. That just isn't what the position is. That may be Stratton's evaluation of it from an incompatibilist position. That is, if we assume incompatibilism, then if something is determined, then it's forced upon them and they, they are left uh, you know, without, without any type of freedom or rationality. But again, that's just presuming and begging the question of his own view. And notice again, he brings in more expressly right? Uh, that he says, and had no opportunity to be more careful to choose better thoughts, beliefs, evaluations, and judgments. That's to bring in the principle of alternative possibilities, which he himself denies, right? So not only does it beg the question, but it also assumes a principle of alternative possibilities, which even Stratton denies, right? So he just refutes himself. He then continues, quote, this then is the, par is the paramount concern for the atheistic naturalist who affirms the exhaustive determinism of humanity. If determinism is true, then atheists, or anyone else for that matter, cannot possess justification for their belief in atheism or naturalism. And if justification is required for knowledge, which the majority of epistemologists affirm, then the atheist or naturalist cannot possess knowledge based on their justifications either. It follows that if the naturalist knows that naturalism is true, then naturalism is false. It makes much more sense to conclude that naturalism is false and that God and things like God, such as souls, exist. Bottom line, if you believe this bottom line, if you believe that you are a rational free thinker who is not ultimately mind controlled by something or someone else, then you should reject atheistic naturalism and affirm that both God and the soul exist. End quote. Okay. First problem, not all naturalists are determinists, by the way. Uh, but besides that, again, none of that has actually been demonstrated. It's gone from question begging to question begging to more question begging. And again, I'm looking at this, you know, a hundred yards downstream right now. He's trying to attack some type of some type of what he thinks is entailed by naturalism. But I'm not a naturalistic determinist. I'm a divine determinist. So it's if it doesn't even get if, if the argument isn't even valid without begging the question against, you know, hard determinism, materialistic determinism, then it has no hope of being a good argument against any other form of determinism or compatibilism. So I've yet to see a single support for the incompatibilist position outside of merely presuming it true in premises of arguments used to support the argument that incompatibilism is true. As I pointed out, Stratton seems to also make a major equivocation between incompatibilism and libertarianism, that those like Tempe and other source incompatibilists or even agent theory incompatibilists and others would resoundingly protest against. So not only has Stratton begged the question of incompatibilism, he's actually conflated that with a demonstration of specifically libertarian incompatibilism. So now I think this is somewhat ironic since I actually agree with many critics of, 
of Tempe and all other incompatibilistic versions that all forms of indeterminism, which is, everyone agrees, is a necessary component of all incompatibilistic positions, just does entail some kind of appeal to alternative possibilities of some manner. And as such, I think things like Frankfurt examples just are defeaters for incompatibilism of all kinds. That's why I think it's meaningless for some to call themselves a, a, a Frankfurt incompatibilist, right? Which some try to do. That just seems meaningless to me because incompatibilism necessarily entails indeterminism. Frankfurt examples are defeaters for indeterminism. And so if indeterminism is false, all kinds of incompatibilism is false. So I, I, I do find the irony in him begging the question that incompatibilism entails some type of principal alternative possibilities, even though he would expressly say that principal alternatives is false elsewhere, but he relies on it here in his begging the question throughout. And that this just is libertarianism because that actually demonstrates one major defeater for all versions of incompatibilism, including his libertarianism. So I, I do appreciate his assist on that. Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode. I hope you found it enjoyable and not too technical. Uh, I do recommend head on over to the Free Thinking Ministries. I don't know if, if uh, Tim will put up a response over over there to this. He's responded to me, a, uh, you know, one or two times there. Um, you know, go, go check it out. He, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a great Christian. He's a good apologist. He's doing good work. This is just one area where we have fundamental disagreements on, and I just don't find his arguments convincing or compelling or rational in the slightest. So, um, head, you know, go, go check out Free Thinking Ministries, but not only think freely, but be freed and freed thinkers indeed, because... <laughs> God has made you that way uh, in his image. All right. Love you all. Good night and God bless.